Hello and welcome to Prehistory, the archaeology of the ancient Near East with me, Jane Gastra. Now that we've had a look at the development of the Halaf culture in northern Mesopotamia and how it expanded outwards to cover the area of what had been the Hosuna culture, and also expanded westwards to either incorporate or heavily influence the culture of the northern Levant, we need to take a little step backwards in time and have a look at another culture that developed in Mesopotamia at the borders of the Hosuna culture. When we talked about the Hasuna and Halaf cultures in episode 22, I mentioned how Hasuna and Samara pottery sometimes turns up at pre-Halaf and early Halaf sites in Syria. We talked about the Hasuna culture in episodes 19 and 22, but I never really explained what this Samara culture was whose pots we also find making their way into northern Mesopotamia. Well, that's because any discussion of the Samara culture inevitably leads into what's happening in the south of the Samara and what happens at the end of the Samara. So I've held off talking about the Samara until we have at least had a chance to look at what's happening in the rest of the Near East during the 6th millennium BCE. I've also held off because the Samara culture is one of the most important early stages of some later developments that will have a really big impact not only on the course of prehistory in southern Mesopotamia, but which are also part of major changes that happen across the Near East more generally after the Neolithic. For now, though, we can't talk about these big developments and changes to societies without talking about the beginning, by having a look at what we know of the Neolithic in the south of Mesopotamia. Having said that, the Samara culture is not necessarily the most southern of southern Mesopotamian cultures that we'll be having a look at. Not exactly. The Samara culture is a ceramic Neolithic culture that spread across the southern parts of central Mesopotamia and at least the northern parts of southern Mesopotamia. It probably developed out of the southern parts of the Proto-Hasuna culture of the 7th millennium, and became distinct from the Hasuna culture from about 6500 Cal BCE or a little after. Working out exactly when the Samara culture first developed is a little tricky. Southern Mesopotamia, and even the more southern parts of central Mesopotamia, make things a little difficult for anyone studying the Neolithic. A big part of this is the landscape. The Tigris and Euphrates are major rivers, and they deposit silt on their banks all along the flatter, lower reaches of Mesopotamia. This means that the landscape keeps building up as more and more silt is deposited over the years. So any small villages which used to sit along the banks of these rivers in the Neolithic are now buried under several meters of more recent deposits, making them really hard to find. We're left instead with villages that were built on hills out of reach of these river deposits, or villages which people continued to live in for a few thousand more years and which turned into tell sites. This is where the second problem comes in, which makes it hard to study the Samara. Those Samaran villages and places where people continue to live for a few thousand more years are now buried under meters or even tens of meters of other archaeological deposits. In addition to this, southern Mesopotamia after the Neolithic is going to be the home of a series of complex societies, city-states, kingdoms, and even empires. This means firstly that these tell sites with Samara villages potentially at the bottom can't just be dug down through to get to the Samara because that would destroy the villages, towns, and cities of these later civilizations which are preserved on top. Secondly, it also means that most of the archaeologists who specialize in southern Mesopotamia are more interested in looking at the remains of these later civilizations, 
and there are fewer people specializing in looking at the early stages of settlement in this region during the Neolithic. And a lot more of the research funding to study ancient cultures in southern Mesopotamia goes to looking at the flashier, later civilizations. Most of what we know about the Neolithic in southern Mesopotamia comes from excavations done here in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. We have a bit of a gap in Neolithic research here after 1989, when the first Gulf War started and foreign archaeologists were kicked out of Iraq for the next couple of decades. This was hard for foreign archaeologists studying southern Mesopotamia, but it was also a hard time for Iraqi archaeologists, who suddenly lost access to international funding for projects and had to focus on time periods that were more likely to get local research funding, which the Neolithic mostly wasn't. That being said, while there is still a lot more that we would wish we knew about the Samara culture in Mesopotamia, which has left us with a lot of questions, there is still a lot that we've already found out. One of the things that we don't know all that precisely is exactly when the Samara started, or exactly when it ended. We have a general idea, but the dates are not as exact as we haven't found a huge number of Samara sites, and the ones that have been found and excavated were mostly radiocarbon dated before advances to radiocarbon dating from the last 30 years or so made it more accurate. The Samara culture was first discovered in 1911, when sherds, or pottery fragments, of painted pottery were discovered in the deeper levels during excavations at Samara, which was the much later capital of the Islamic Abbasid Caliphate. These were recognized as being older, but the actual identification of these Samaran pottery fragments as Neolithic did not come until the 1940s, when excavations at Tel Hasuna found some pieces of the same style of painted pottery in the Neolithic levels there. These pieces were not part of the local culture at Tel Hasuna, but were present alongside the Hasuna pottery found at the site. A lot more information about the Samara culture came a couple of decades later, when a Neolithic site was discovered a few kilometers, or a few miles, from Samara at Tel Es Sawan. Tel Es Sawan is a small tell located on the banks of the Tigris River, not far from Samara and about 100 kilometers or 60 miles north of modern Baghdad. On the upside, the archaeological levels preserved at Tel Esawan only really come from the Neolithic, without the deep later deposits that we see at a lot of other sites. On the downside, Sawan was probably a little farther away from the Tigris River in the past. Over time, the course of the river has changed a bit and is now a lot closer to the site. A lot closer, as in about half of the site has now been washed away by the river, which now runs right along the edge of what is left of the site. Excavations at Tel Es Sawan from the 1960s and 70s identified five main levels at the site, almost all of which come from the Samara culture. The Samara culture is divided into an early and late stage, based on these levels as well as what we see at the few other Samaran sites that have been excavated, such as the site of Chogamami to the east, near the modern border with Iran. Based on the oldest levels at Sawan where we have houses and other signs of life, Apart from deep burials under these levels, it looks like the Samara culture developed out of the more southern parts of the Proto-Hosuna culture somewhere around 6400 to maybe 6200 Cal BCE. The pottery found in this and the next level above it, which is believed also to date to the very end of the 7th millennium BCE, is very similar to the pottery of the Proto-Hosuna, but without painted decoration. 
The fragments of the houses that were found in these levels look a bit different to the rectangular multi-roomed houses that we find at other sites of the Proto-Hasuna culture farther to the north. Instead of the long rectangular buildings made of a series of small rooms that we see at houses of the Proto-Hasuna sites to the north, here we find much square rectangular houses with multiple rooms. There is a large room just inside the doorway with a series of smaller rooms connecting off of this. In the next level up, these houses change slightly to a series of larger rooms in the center of the house leading in from the front door, and a smaller room complex sitting off to the sides of these. In both of these early levels, the houses are situated apart from one another, at least in the parts of the early village that have been excavated down into these lower levels. In the next level above, from the first few centuries of the 6th millennium BCE, we have what looks very much like what are known as tripartite houses, which will become a common feature of southern Mesopotamian architecture later on, and which are believed to have had their beginnings here in the Samara culture. The ones that we have at Sawan in level 3 are T-shaped, with a narrower front to the house. The entrances in the middle of the front lead into a small entry hallway, off of which is a large living room with a series of three small storage rooms to the side of it. Behind this is the wider back part of the house, where we have two larger rooms, each of which has at least one small storage room off to the side. These changes over time are seen as the Samara culture developing the tripartite house, with a central living area of larger rooms and smaller storage and craft rooms off to the sides. At the bottom of Sawan is a series of graves that were dug under the houses of the first stage of the village. These have a large assortment of carved alabaster jars and bowls, as well as carved alabaster figurines that were found in these graves, which have not been found at any other site in southern Mesopotamia. So these alabaster jars, bowls, and figurines are a little bit weird when we think about the pottery Neolithic for Mesopotamia. But at the moment, we don't have any evidence for earlier pre-pottery Neolithic groups in this part of central or southern Mesopotamia, so it's hard to tell just how very unusual these are. There might not have been anyone living in the area before the beginning of the Samara, or there might be some older cultures that we haven't found yet. There are some aspects of these graves that do fit in pretty well with what we see elsewhere for the ceramic Neolithic, though. One is that they're found underneath the individual rooms of buildings from level 1, which is where the Protohasuna is starting to turn into the Samara. More importantly, we find some goods in these graves that are a lot more normal compared with other pottery or ceramic Neolithic cultures in other regions. One is the presence of jewelry, stone vessels, and other fancy goodies in the graves of children including beads made from imported Central or South Asian carnelian in several of the graves. We also find several carved female figurines in these graves, which is something that we've seen a lot in the ceramic Neolithic cultures of both the Levant and Northern Mesopotamia, as well as parts of Transcaucasia. In several of these graves, we also have ground stone axes, like those that we've seen in other ceramic Neolithic sites from other parts of the Near East. Now, we have seen carnelian turn up at pre-pottery Neolithic sites, such as the beads found on Cyprus, but we also do tend to get them in the pottery Neolithic. In one of the graves, excavators also found several beads and a small knife made of copper, rather like the copper jewelry that we've seen at Hasuna sites in northern Mesopotamia, as well as copper fragments and beads that we found in other pottery Neolithic sites in other parts of the Near East. 
Tell us Sawan is one of the few early Samaran sites that we have, which has been both extensively excavated and well published. The best evidence that we have for the layout of the village itself comes from level 3, which is somewhere in the early to mid 6th millennium, where the Proto-Suna to Samara transition that we see in the oldest two levels has finished, with a much more classic early Samara style. The first two levels at Sawan don't really have a lot of pottery. And what we do find is sort of a mix between the Proto-Hasuna that we see farther to the north at this time and the full-blown Samara that we see in level 3. We get both incised, or cut-in, and painted types of Proto-Hasuna-style pottery, and even have some of the iconic husking trays that we see at other Proto-Hasuna sites as well as Hasuna proper sites to the north. Overall, the pottery was usually a buff or light brown color, sometimes slipped and sometimes burnished or polished. What we really think of as Samara pottery comes from level 3, where pottery itself also becomes a lot more common. The level 3 village is made up of a packed group of T-shaped tripartite-style houses with narrow streets in between them. These houses were built of mud brick, using really long mud bricks up to a meter or a yard in length, which were called cigar-shaped. These were laid in the header and stretcher style that we talked about in episode 24. This is where the mud bricks are all laid in alternating directions relative to the course of the wall for each course of mud bricks. So all mud bricks would be first laid parallel to the direction of the wall, then the next course would all be laid perpendicular, and then parallel, and so on. This method of laying mud bricks in alternating courses makes the walls stronger and able to carry a lot more weight. This would also have meant that the walls of Samaran houses were pretty thick, and it also suggests that they had at least one upper story. One reason why the houses may have been grouped so closely together is that the village in this phase was surrounded by a thick mud brick wall with a ditch running alongside it. We don't know if the people at Sawan built a wall because everyone in earlier Samaran villages in the region built themselves some walls, as we don't have many examples of Samaran villages, or if they were having fights with their neighbors, or if it was just to keep their livestock safe and inside so that they couldn't wander off or get attacked by wild animals. The wall is pretty interesting though, as Sawan is not the only site that we know of from the Samara culture which has a wall around it. Even with only having excavated a few Samara sites, we also know of walls at two other sites, Chogamami and Sonhor-e. Either we've gotten lucky and we've managed to find and excavate the only three Samara villages that had walls, or these were actually a pretty common feature of the villages of the Samara culture. Whatever the reason was for the people living at Sawan to have built a thick wall around their village, it doesn't seem to have been needed for very long. As the next phase of building included houses built on top of or through the remains of the wall. These granaries had lime plastered floors and agricultural implements, but lacked the normal fittings and materials of the domestic houses, such as hearths or pottery. Although at least one of these granaries did have a line of ovens along one wall, suggesting that these may have been used as communal areas for bread baking in the village. In the later stages of the village at Sawan, the houses are not as well preserved, but seem to have continued to be made of large cigar-shaped mud bricks laid in the header and stretcher fashion. They don't seem to be laid only within the confines of the old level 3 wall, which, like I said, seems to have fallen out of use. The final level, level 5, is really not well preserved, and we don't even really know how the village was laid out, 
or even what the houses looked like, or even what sorts of mud bricks they were made from. We do have a few fragments of halaf pottery that turn up during this phase, but having what looks like halaf in the final level of Tel Sawan does not mean that the halaf expanded to cover the territory of the Samara culture the way that it did with the Hasuna. Remember, we have halaf pottery turning up in Transcaucasia as well, and no one argues that it expanded that far. Stone tools in the Samara culture come in a mix of blade-based and flake-based styles. We find tools made from both flint and obsidian, although obsidian tools make up only a very small percentage, about 3% or so. These obsidian tools tend to be mostly or entirely made from blades, and often these have also been retouched, which is where fresh chips are taken off along the sharp edge to essentially resharpen the tool. This has been seen as evidence that the supply of obsidian at sites like Sawan was limited, meaning that people made sure to resharpen and reuse the obsidian tools for as long as possible. Stone tools overall from Samaran sites show a high proportion of sickles out of the tools, as well as some really tiny tools or microliths. As far as we can tell, the Samara culture was not only present in the area just north of modern Baghdad, but also expanded to the east, all the way into the foothills of the Zagros Mountains near the modern-day border with Iran, as well as possibly a little ways over the border. It also extended farther north up the Tigris and the Zab rivers, at sites such as Tel Shimshara. It's in the later stages of the Samara that we see Samaran villages turning up in the foothills of the Zagros Mountains. A lot of these villages seem to be newly established Samara villages, rather than previous groups of farmers taking on new Samara fashions. Because the villages are sitting on top of what we call virgin soil, meaning that there's no archaeological deposits underneath. We also get Samara evidence, or possibly Samaran villages, turning up farther to the west along the Euphrates River such as a large collection of Samara pottery found at Tel Baghuz in the very southernmost part of Syria along its modern border with Iraq. It's hard to say if Tel Baghuz was a Samaran site though, as it was excavated in the 1940s, it seems to have been a very short-lived site without additional layers of occupation, and it does not seem to have been all that well preserved or at least not very well published. As far as the layout of the village at Tel Baghuz and the houses inside of it, we know that they were made of mud brick, but the excavators didn't really go into any more actual detail about the houses or the village, instead focusing mainly on discussing the pottery. While people living along the more northern edges of the Samara culture and the Hasuna culture might have changed over into a halaf way of doing things, people living in the south and east didn't. Instead, we get what we call the late stage of the Samara culture, which is best known from excavations at Chogamami in the Zagros foothills. Chogamami was excavated really for only one season, from 1967 to 1968, before work there was interrupted by increased tensions between Iraq and Iran and the potential outbreak of war, basically right in the area of Chogamami. Chogamami sits near the modern-day Iran-Iraq border in the foothills of the Zagros Mountains, east of Baghdad in the province of Mandali. It's about 5 to 6 hectares, so about the size of Sawan, which is also pretty large, Although not all of this area has been excavated, so we don't know how large the Samaran village was at any one time. Based on surveys around the region, Chogamami was one of many Samara villages along the Zagros foothills, although it seems to have been the largest, or one of the largest, with most of the villages being much smaller. 
The houses at Chogomami are similar to those from Sawan, especially from level 3 at Sawan, with tripartite houses made of long, cigar-shaped mud bricks laid out in the header and stretcher pattern. These houses also had really thick walls, and probably had an upper floor. The houses here were laid out close to one another, but with separate courtyards between them, which were probably used as front or backyards for the people living in each house to make, fix, or prepare things outside. The general view of farming in the Samara, both at Chogamami but particularly at other sites along the Tigris and the Euphrates and their tributary rivers, is that people must have been using some form of early irrigation as part of their farming regime. Now we have some pretty good evidence for cultures that come after the Samara for the use of irrigation systems, such as canals dug to bring water from the Tigris, Euphrates, or one of their subsidiary rivers to fields near sites. However, while we generally assume that irrigation also must have been part of the farming system for Samara villages, we don't really have any canals directly dated to this period. There are some possible irrigation canals from the end part of the Samara from the site of Chogamami, but the date of these isn't all that certain at the moment. The idea of Samara irrigation comes instead from a few other sources. One of these is that this is a very dry landscape, especially around the sites of Samara and Sawan, where there isn't enough rain in a given year to grow crops if someone was relying only on rainfall to keep the plants watered. Now, central and southern Mesopotamia in the 7th and 6th millennium BCE was not quite as dry as it is today, but climate reconstructions from around this time suggest that southern Mesopotamia would still have been dry enough that relying on rainfall for growing crops would have been a pretty dodgy prospect. Another clue is the sorts of plants that we find at the few Samaran sites that we have. In the early excavations at Teles Sawan, for example, excavators found several nice caches of burned seeds. These excavations were in the 1960s, when flotation was a very new idea and no one was really doing it yet. Fortunately, one of the few groups to be early adopters of flotation were actually the excavation team at Sawan, so we have information about the plants grown and eaten here, even though the site was excavated about 60 years ago. When the burned seeds found from this site were studied, ancient seed specialists, or archaeobotanists, found the sorts of common grains that we would expect to find at any farming site, such as wheat and barley. They also found linseeds. Linseed is a pretty sensible crop to have in the past. It's a nice oily seed, which you can add to bread and soup and other foods to make things taste nice, as well as to add some nice lovely calories. It can also be pressed to produce oil, which is handy for cooking. The interesting thing about linseed in comparison to other sorts of oily seeds which people could have grown is that it's also the plant that we call flax. And the stalks of the flax plant are what we process to extract the long, thin, and strong fibers that get spun into linen. So linseed is a nice multi-use plant. It gives you tasty seeds for adding to food or for pressing into oil, and the stalks of the plant give you linen to wear. The downside is that linseed needs a lot of water to grow. Like, a lot of water. Way more than barley or even wheat. And southern Mesopotamia was, and still is, a really dry landscape. So the theory began that the people living at Tel Asawan must have been irrigating their crops with waters from the Tigris if they were able to grow nice, big, and healthy linseed plants. 
This probably was not irrigation in the sense of a crisscross network of irrigation canals like we see later. Even when these plants were first reported in the 1960s, no one was arguing for this. More likely, people took advantage of the seasonal flooding of the Tigris and maybe built some little dams to the sides of the river to help trap the floodwaters in place when they receded. It would have meant building infrastructure for irrigation, but in a more simple way than we see later. What sort of irrigation might have been used at Sawan is a little less important, though. What matters in terms of how we think about the Samara is that they are believed to have figured out how to make use of water from the river to enable them to grow crops in a landscape that really shouldn't allow it. So they figured out a way around the limitations of rainfall for agriculture by collectively building infrastructure for irrigation. In the future, we will see irrigation infrastructure being really pretty important for all of the civilizations of southern Mesopotamia, and this is believed to have been where it all started. At least, probably. Now, the distribution of where we find Samara villages is not the same as where we find Samara pottery, with the maybe and maybe not status of Tel Baguz being an example. Samara pottery turns up not only in southern Mesopotamia, but also to the north, in the northern part or upper Mesopotamia. Archaeologists working in these areas tend to talk about the Hasuna Samara, as if you're working in Halaf regions, such as in Syria, then you're getting both types of pottery turning up in the earlier Halaf sites before the Halaf expands eastwards and basically absorbs the areas of the old Hasuna culture. As we see at Tel Sawan, the Samara can be thought of as developing out of the more southern areas of the proto or archaic Hasuna culture. So in the earlier parts of both the Samara and the Hasuna, there isn't really all that big of a difference in the pottery. This means that some archaeologists working in northern Mesopotamia have even questioned whether or not the Samara should be considered as a separate culture when we start talking about the past. Well, if you look at the decorations on the pottery, there isn't necessarily a super big gap between the Hasuna and the Samara. If you look at other aspects though, such as the layout of the villages and the houses within them, there are more distinctive differences between the Hasuna and the Samara, at least based on what we currently know about each culture. While this Samara pottery turning up in northern Mesopotamia has led to it getting lumped in with the much more nearby Hasuna, it does also show that there was some trade going on between the Samara and its neighbors to the north. We also have some signs of goodies moving south into Samaran villages. We have obsidian tools, like the ones found at Tel Sawan, and we also have a few pieces of Halaf pottery towards the end of the Samara. We also have a few rare finds of copper, such as those in the burials at Sawan. Southern Mesopotamia doesn't really have any metal sources, especially not on the plains around the rivers, so this had to be traded in from somewhere, probably either from the mountains farther to the north or maybe those to the east along the border with modern-day Iran. This of course begs the question of what exactly is Samara pottery? Well, just like with other pottery or ceramic Neolithic cultures that we've been talking about, Samara pottery comes in both coarse and fine varieties. Unsurprisingly, the fine type of pottery has received a lot more attention than the coarse cooking and storage pottery. Samara fine pottery is handmade, often from very fine or levigated, that is filtered clay. When not levigated, it could be tempered with a fine grit. The clay was usually a buff or a cream color, or sometimes a faintly greenish or faintly orangish shade of cream. Like the other pottery that we see around this time, it's all made by hand, and it's really high quality stuff. Based on the studies that have been done, Samaran pottery was probably made by shaping out a base for a bowl or a jar, 
and then building up the sides with coils of clay that were smooshed together and smoothed down to make the sides of the vessel. Once the clay had dried a little bit, it was then scraped down inside and out to make the surface of the vessel as smooth as possible. The shapes of fine Samaran pottery are not all that different from what we've seen in the earlier Hasuna, with some exceptions. Husking trays go out of fashion in the Samara, but we still have a combination of jars and either shallow or deep bowls, as well as chalice or wine goblet-like bowls called pedestal bowls or fruit stands. We also still have the now almost ubiquitous carinated sides to bowls, as we've seen in most other parts of the Near East around this time. We also have some new items. At Chogamami, painted ladles of pottery have been reported from the Samaran levels and continue into the late Samaran phases. These have also been found at other Samaran sites in the Zagros foothills. Pottery ladles were not found at Sawan, but ladles of the same size, shape, and style were found here, but they were just made out of carved stone. In terms of decoration, the pots were generally painted in black, dark red, or dark brown. The painting on fineware generally was done as a series of geometric shapes around the rim of bowls or the rim or neck or body of jars. On the inside as bowls, as well as in gaps around the outsides of bowls and jars, people painted more distinctive naturalistic shapes, such as goats, scorpions, kingfishers, or women with long wavy hair. Like with the Hasuna and Halaf, we get some variation from place to place in terms of what naturalistic images were more popular to paint on the insides of the vessels. We also get some variation in how common these more naturalistic designs were, with sites to the east along the Zagros foothills more commonly opting to decorate their pottery with geometric designs, while the naturalistic designs, or at least the larger central naturalistic designs, seem to have been more common to the west in central and southern Mesopotamia. Some of this pottery also seems to have had lids, such as for the jars. These lids were made of gypsum and have string marks where they would have been tied down to the top of the jar. Interestingly, some of these lids from the early levels at Sawan, levels 1 and 2, had not only string marks on them, but also seal impressions. Now you may remember from episode 22 that the Hasuna culture did not use seals. Well, here at Sawan, even in the early levels, when the Samara was growing out of the Proto-Hasuna culture, they were already starting to use seals to mark the lids that were tied onto the jars to keep them closed and secure. Like with irrigation and the tripartite house, seals are going to be a big part of the organization of life in the future in southern Mesopotamia, and we find them here already in the Samara culture. The Samara culture ends somewhere around 5500 Cal BCE. It's hard to work out exactly when it ends because it's hard to date exactly when the Samara changes into the next culture that we see here in southern Mesopotamia, the Ubayid. That's also because the Ubayid partly overlaps the Samara and partly because we still don't have a lot of sites from the Samara or the Samara to Ubayid transition. It's this transition that we'll look at next time when we begin talking about the Ubayid one of the largest and most important cultures that we get in ancient Mesopotamia, and which takes us from the Neolithic into our first official Mesopotamian age of metal with the Chalcolithic. Thank you for listening to the Prehistory Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me at prehistorypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to see any examples of Samaran pottery, houses, tools, or weaponry that I've talked about, you can find these on the website at prehistorypodcast.com along with a list of related books and articles for each episode. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please give the podcast a rating and a review on your platform of choice to help others find it. And come back and join us next time when we finish off the Neolithic, for real this time, with a look at the origins and spread of the Ubayid culture.